Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Jeff Smith is an entrepreneur, husband, and father of four, and a business performance coach and epic real estate investor. He currently leads two masterminds and enjoys RVing and traveling with his wife and kids. Jeff is also a proud veteran that served with the 75th Ranger Regiment, 2nd Battalion. For those of you that are uninitiated, the U.S. Army Ranger Regiment is a lethal, agile, and flexible force capable of conducting many complex joint special operations missions. Today's Rangers Regiment is the Army's premier direct action force. Now, I know Jeff personally. I met him at an event in person, shook his hand, hugged him, shared dinner with he and his wife. My wife and he and his wife just were cut from the same cloth. I think you're going to love everything that he talks about. He's a great, no-nonsense, no-bullshit guy. Tell us a little bit about the difference between a person that has a ranger tab, means that they went to a ranger school, went through the leadership course, and that leadership course is for real. I mean, David Goggins says that outside of Hell Week, ranger school for him was the most difficult thing he went through. But there is a difference between a person who goes through that and then a person who's actually in a ranger battalion. Tell us a little bit what that looks like and what the differences are. Yeah, man. You're just getting right into it. Thank you. I am. I'm skipping all the foreplay. We're going right into it. Thank you for that introduction. You're like, how can we ruffle the most feathers possible? (laughs) Let's shake the cage now. If we want some hate mail on this. Well, so (laughs) yes, Ranger School is a leadership course that was developed in the 1940s, I believe. And it's 60 some days of training with different phases in different areas, mountain phase, desert phase, swamp phase. And it's a training and deprivation course. But how do you lead with sleep deprivation, food deprivation? And then they run direct action raids and obviously mock against op four. It's open to all branches of the military, actually, which is how David Goggins got in there. But Marines can come in, SEALs come in, Air Force PJs, stuff like that. They get slots for it. They don't get as many as the Army. But the bottom line is it was named Ranger School well before there was a Ranger Regiment because the Ranger Regiment was stood up and then dissolved numerous times in history before the 70s. And then Vietnam popped off. They stood up the original Ranger Battalions. And I don't remember what president, but they said, we're going to keep these active duty. And then... They went under JSOC's command, don't know when, but Joint Special Operations sometime in the 80s or 90s. But the idea was, because the way it used to be set up, even at Vietnam time, they went to all the different units, 82nd Airborne, 10th Mountain, all those different ones, and you could try out to be a ranger. And then they would come back from the deployment and then they would disband the unit is how they used to do it. So in World War II, there was rangers, obviously. I mean, 
Point Duhok, the operation was carried out by Second Ranger Battalion. So I'm very familiar with that. But the bottom line is, I'm kind of droning on with military history, but the bottom line is the the leadership course that you see a ranger tab for is simply just a course that you attend and then you return to your unit. Officers have to go through it, things like that. The rangers that are in ranger regiment, you qualify through RASP to go through there. Similar to BUDS, you go through your training and there's a big attrition rate. Like when I started, we had 88 people start and 12 finished. And then they split you up and you go to different regiments after that and or battalions, excuse me, after that. And I ended up at second battalion. I was in 2001 to 2004. And so right after 9-11. But the bottom line is, if you're actually a ranger that's in ranger regiment, you are in special operations and you're part of JSOC and it's a very highly deployable unit, but you could also be in the regular army and have a ranger tab, which means that you have attended that leadership course. So being in regiments, more of a lifestyle, like you have to qualify for it through RASP and then you have to live it every day. And the easy part is actually getting to ranger regiment and then the hard work actually starts. So I don't know, man, I'm trying to be a little more PC than it is, but that's super confusing to people because you'll talk to people and they're like, oh, my dad's a ranger. My ex is a ranger, my this, that, and I know tons of rangers. And realistically, like when I was in, there was only 1600 at any given time in the world. So there's very few of them. The likelihood of you actually knowing them is very small. And I think there's a few more rangers that now. It's actually a more unique group than the SEALs. There's more SEALs in the world than there are rangers in the world that are in ranger regiment. I wanted to talk about that because that shows sort of the exclusivity of what a real ranger regiment is. Again, we had butter bars that would come through. They would get their tab. There'd be PT studs. But then they would come in and say, okay, this is how we're executing an ambush. And then you have that steely-eyed E6 is kind of watching them. And he's just like, sir, we're all going to get killed if you do that. Well, this is what they said in ranger school. This is what it says in the handbook. He's like, okay, there's theory and here's reality. And my squad leader, who was an ex-recon Marine, he's the one that like took us through. And he's like, whatever you just heard, I want you to dump that off your hard drive. We're going to work on it over here. But this is how we do it in the real world. This is how I did it in geographical location X, Y, and Z. And so, because we were in, in first squad, so he's like, you're the first ones at the door. If I'm putting bad habits into you guys now, it's going to get all of us. And so there's the difference between theory and reality, thus the name Octonom Verba, thus the reason why I have you on here, because there are a lot of people out there that are experts in their field, or they claim to be experts in their field, or claim to have things going on. But I'm very selective about who I allow on in front of my audience. And that's why I'm glad that you're on here today to be able to take the time. The other thing is, I've talked to SEALs. I've talked to JC Click. He was a commander for 2nd Battalion. There is this work ethic that we learn in the military. There is this notion that, okay, how many times do we hear somebody say, you're coaching them and you're asking them, hey, let's do this. I want you to push. Let's elevate. Let's click it up a level. And they're like, yeah, but man, when it comes time to do it, I'm tired. But in the military, like you were always tired. That's just a norm. That's every day. You're always underfed, underhydrated under-equipped, injured. Yes, the intel is usually at least 24 hours old and everything's changed or the weather's changed. So understanding that that is just sort of the norm 
that sort of gives us an unfair advantage in the civilian sector when it comes to putting into play these ideas about business. But you were also saying as well that once we get out, usually we have the entire day dictated. Okay, zero five, I'm at formation doing PT. I get this. I'm at second formation at 10 a.m., yada, yada, yada. But once we get out, sometimes there's this, you even mentioned it, almost this overwhelm. It's like, oh my God, well, I can work out whenever I want and it can, it can be this sort of workout. I don't have to do like an unknown distance death march. I can also just lift weights if I want for 10 minutes or two hours. It doesn't matter. But within that, sometimes there is overwhelm. And that's what the modern entrepreneur is dealing with right now with all of this, whether it be social media, whether it be people trying to get their attention to try to sell them something. Can you explain to us sort of what your entrepreneurial journey was in the beginning and then kind of where you are right now? Yeah, man. I know for a fact the military institutionalizes you is what it does. A hundred percent. And now I had the benefit of being a little bit looser than that because in special operations, you work hard and you play hard. And like we had more three and four day weekends than anybody in the military for sure. So we'd work, go out in the field, and then they'd cut us loose to rain down on Seattle and Tacoma. Yeah, you get more leeway. (laughs) Fun times for sure. But after I got out, I know I don't operate well without structure. And I was too undisciplined to implement it myself. So when I got back out of the military, I was ETSing. I had a job waiting for me at an insurance company. And they were like, you have six months to come take this job. I went to work within like 10 days of getting out of the military, like full time. Just because of that reason, because I didn't have the discipline. I just felt lost, I guess. So I went to work in the corporate world, ended up doing that for years. But I was always entrepreneurial. When I was 26 years old, I bought an apartment complex, a little seven-unit apartment complex. That was the first real estate endeavor I did outside of buying my own homes. Then we moved to Texas. That apartment complex was up in Illinois, which is where I was living at the time. Then we moved to Texas in 2008, and I still was looking for something to do. I played football in college, went into the military. I had been involved in fitness my entire life. It was just natural. I had worked at a couple gyms and dabbled in that space. And so what I did was I I didn't really have any contacts or connections or community in Houston. And so I joined a a CrossFit gym to find something to do because I was doing computer programming out of my house. And so telecommuting, I never left the house, essentially. My wife was doing her PhD. She had shit to do. She was gone all day. I was like telecommuting, didn't know anyone, didn't talk to anyone. Like it was strange, but I was looking for something else to do. And so we went ahead and opened a gym of our own in 2011. That had its series of challenges, obviously. It was completely different than I was used to. I had done rental properties. I'd flipped houses. I had done some other stuff in that space. I'd worked in the corporate world. So I understood structure and implementation of processes, all that. But like being in a service business, it was a game changer. It was different. Taught me a lot of lessons for sure. We still own that gym. It's still here in Houston and active. Then I got phased out of my corporate job. I got told I was being phased out of my corporate job because they wanted us to relocate back to Illinois, which is a whole story in and of itself. They wanted me to relocate to Dallas. And then three months later, we would have moved twice. They would have bought my house, 
reload me to Dallas and then reload me back to Illinois. So it was kind of a disorganized clusterfuck as well. Long story short, though, I said, no, we're not moving. And then they said, okay, well, you've got like a year. This is your final day. You'll be phased out. Well, I knew what was happening, but I knew that's what they were saying, I guess. So I had about a year to get going. And so we just, hey, what's the next thing? What are we going to do? We've got the gym and what do we want to be doing with the next phase of things? Because I'm about to be out of a corporate job. And so what we did was we started buying rental properties again, which we had no real estate. I sold everything in 2013. So we were out of the game for about five years. And then in 2018 or 2019, we made this decision. I guess it was 2018 the very end of 2018. And then we started buying rental properties again. So I've been doing that. I was also, I skipped a part, I guess it was 2016. I had my gym going and rolling and I had always used mentors and coaches and had a high level of respect for everybody in that space. I think it's fun to be able to compress time and errors for people. So you don't have to make all the same fucking mistakes I made and provide guidance and accountability for people and business owners. And I'm just passionate about business. So an opportunity presented itself through a company called Two Brain Business, who Chris Cooper owns, who was a mentor of mine. He invited me on to their staff to mentor other business owners. And so I've been doing that, I don't know, five or six years at this point. And that's kind of branched off into, I built a mastermind under their umbrella, which is like another tier of networking and guidance and mentoring. So if you're one of the upper echelon people, you can hop into an elevated program, just like there's levels in business, there's levels in mentoring and networking. So I've been running that program for three and a half years at this point. I also have my own mastermind that it's for male entrepreneurs with families or W2 guys looking to make the leap, but with wives and kids in general, those are our topics. I mean, we talk about family, we talk about fitness, finances, and then investing for like a legacy. Like my podcast is called the tactical empire and the kind of direction that's going in is just being very deliberate about building something for your family and building a legacy. What do you want your legacy to be at the end of the day? And just being very deliberate in vision casting and then reverse engineering that vision so that you're living with intention in everything that you're doing. Because, I mean, you and I talked yesterday, and I think one of the biggest things is life can just get away from you. If you just let it happen to you, you're probably going to have a lot of regrets at the end of the day because you don't have to walk down any certain path. What you have to do is you have to spend time getting crystal clear on what the fuck you want. And then you can make that happen because you can focus on it and be able to work backwards from that. Like, what skills do I need? Who does that person behave like? Okay, I'm out here. I'm vision casting. I'm two years now, three years from now. Like, I've got $500 million of real estate. What does that look like? How does that person that has $500 million of real estate behave? What do they act like? What do they look like? What are they doing with their time? And then you can implement those habits and behaviors into your life today and behave like that today. And what that does over time is you start taking action. You, you continue to build confidence. And then next thing you know, you look up and you turn around and you've got all the shit that you wanted. And sometimes it takes longer than you think it does. Business always does. 
twice as long and twice as much money, but yeah. you still get yeah. that. Exactly. I mean, just some of it is false perceptions of how quickly you can get there. And everybody walks a different path, right? I may have to learn different lessons along the way. I'm really hard headed. So I have to learn a lot of lessons the hard way and I'm still learning them today. And so, I mean, the universe has a way of teaching me shit. Like I told you, I had a horrible last year and it wasn't horrible in that anything significant happened because my children are healthy. My wife and I are married and happy. And so, I mean, ultimately that matters. I got my ass kicked in business last year from every single angle possible and hemorrhaged cash, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some of it was out of my control. Some of it I probably could have controlled a little bit better or stopped the bleeding. But like I said, when I was telling you the story before, like those are all lessons learned, man. And I truly believe that how that thing happened because it was just like the power of threes, right? Like whatever could go wrong, possibly it was Murphy's law just happening to me for months on end. But what I think that does is it was, I believe deeply that I was being prepared for the next level because I have had quite a bit of success. Like I said, we own 41 rental properties. I have another 28 that I'm a general partner on. So I'm in charge of 69 properties. And I think that in order to go to the next level, like let's say 500 doors, I needed to learn those lessons. And same thing with everything that went on, employee issues, leadership, stuff like that. I mean, if you get lackadaisical and you're not developing your skills, things happen. And sometimes you can reach a certain level and then you hit a ceiling because of blinders that you're unaware of yet. So like the way that generally the world teaches you lessons is with pain. And if you're not trying to have a heightened sense of awareness to identify these things, it just determines how painful it gets before you're awakened to the lesson. That's it. And the lesson keeps repeating until we figure it out. That's why adversity keeps kicking our ass. And you also made a great point. We talked about this on your podcast. Actually, I was honored to be a guest on yours we were talking about you have a person that wants to go from 500k to a million. And I was mentioning how that essentially you can tell that person you're going to have to work twice as hard. And then that just makes them say, Oh my God, I'm already working 16 hours a day, seven days a week. I already don't see my family who I claim to love so much and to claim that's why I'm doing this for. So what you're talking about is, okay, we can try to use this, this old model, but that's antiquated. So let's click it up. Let's go up a true level and look down on it and say, how can we make this more efficient? How can we make this something that is sustainable? Like you said, is scalable. And the lessons that we learn in leadership, I understand are, are simple, but it is different for me to lead a team of five compared to a lead, a team of 60 or a team of a hundred, but now I have 10 direct reports. Or now I have to look at, like you were saying, these things that happen that were out of your control. I can't control the weather. I can't control pipes bursting on my properties. I can't control any of that but I can't control, okay, what am I going to do in this moment? Because it is very easy to get overwhelmed. And frankly, that's why a lot of people were mentioning in your mastermind, how people go from a W2 into the entrepreneurial space. If that person gets hit with that in that transition at the beginning, they run for safety. Yeah. That's their natural inclination. I'm going to step back. I'm going to get this. It's a nine to five job and it's soul sucking, but it's secure. But you and I both know that safety is an illusion. Well, it can present itself so. in a variety of ways. Like I'm a chaos guy. I grew up 
in chaos from a very young age. And like, so that's what I knew. My wife is the complete opposite. She grew up with stability and family and like functional people around her. And so for me, my default mechanism in life is when things are growing great, I fucking create chaos. And so like the way it presents itself may be something that you're missing. When we talk about having an awareness, like why did this happen to me? Let's say you're making that W2 jump to a business owner and something does happen. Like you have to really ask deep questions about why, why that's occurring. And so for me, like I can identify now in my life when I'm going in that direction and I'm like, oh, I'm trying to sabotage things. Why is this happening? Or sometimes it's like, you don't think you're worthy of it. And so there's a million angles and turns that you kind of have to question and ask yourself, like, are you scared? Do you not think you have the chops to take on? $500 million of real estate or like, do you not have the skills? And some of that's being honest with yourself because you haven't done what you haven't done. You don't know what's going to happen, but you and I talked, I think yesterday about the importance of confidence from that standpoint, because you have to have a level of self-belief that you can, like I said, my wife's fine and my kids are fine and healthy. And like, ultimately at the end of the day, I can fucking handle anything else that comes my way. Yeah, as long as you have them, you can create everything else around you. You can build around them as that center of your universe. Right. And well, my health, I would include in that as well. Because one of the things we say all the time, I say to my clients is like, you're the asset. So you got to take care of yourself. I mean, you see these people in a bunch of different industries, they're drinking and they're not working out. They're eating shit because they're working so hard. And they're missing that point because like they can work more efficiently. They can work more effectively. They'll work at a higher level. They'll be more empathetic with their employees. The ROI is there in taking care of yourself, even if it takes time that they think they don't have. Because like when you're talking about if you're trying to bridge the gap from a $500,000 business to a million dollar business and it's not work twice as hard, it's work fucking 10 times as smart and it's never twice as hard or double the time, it's always you're missing the angles and the nuances that you should be operating at. Because I've seen businesses go from 500 grand to $5 million in like a year. And that's the great point because when I start working with people, the first thing I challenge them to is like, how many hours are you working? And I challenge them, we're going to work half that. And you see that look on their face, but what it does is it makes them, like you said, ask that really hard question. No bullshit. What do I have to get done? What's really going to move the needle today? What's truly a priority? If everything's a priority, nothing's a priority, all the stuff that we know. But the reality is it's different to know that. Just like it was different to know how to conduct a raid from the Ranger Hamburg. It's not the same when you're actually out in it. It's not the same when the weather conditions, when it's dark, when you're taking contact. And so many people love theory because you and I can pontificate all day about theory And you can't call me on my bullshit because this is all just a conversation. This is all just in the air. But when you're on the ground trying to do it, again, when it's your life, your kids, your family on the line, your marriage, and you're trying to transition from this illusion of security in a W-2 into this other area, that leap is huge. And it's a leap of faith, truly. And even if you do everything right, there's still going to be things that kick you right in the face. And it's like, okay, now where am I going to go from here? Do I have this belief? Even cognitive bias, right? People, when they're going through and they kind of set themselves up to fail, like you're talking about self-sabotage, because it reduces their expectations. And it's a, an honorable way out in their mind. And I tried, but you know, it just wasn't for me. 
But if you continue to do that, you're going to do that in relationships. You're going to cheat on your diet. You're going to cheat on your life because you're not able to maintain that resolve. And that's why it's so important to have these ethos. So with that knowledge and experience, how do you attack your day now to be so efficient? What does it look like? How do you reverse engineer it? You're an early riser, right? Yeah, man. Nothing in my life has worked better for me than waking up early and getting your critical tasks done. Whatever number that is for you. Like for me, it's three, but I write down about 15 things in a day. But the three most important things are what I get done. I work first thing when I wake up. I may take 10 minutes, 15 minutes making coffee and like just sitting in silence. But I don't read. I don't fucking listen to podcasts. I don't do any of that shit. Why don't you, by the way? Why don't I? Yeah. In that time. Because I need the stillness. For me, that's how I collect my thoughts. And then I also have internal conversations and dialogue with myself because I'm like, ooh, I don't want to do that. Ooh, that scares me. Or why does this scare you? And like, you can have moments of recognition to these things. And that's what sets you up to like have yourself a talk. Like, you have to do it. Stop being a pussy you need to move this thing forward or what happens if you don't do anything. That's what I think we get caught up on so often because we're paralyzed by fear. But the reality is you just have to keep moving forward and making progress. There's no fatal mistake in most of our lives that we can possibly make. I mean, it's not a life and death situation. Whether I send my paperwork to the banker today on a portfolio loan or something like that. Right. But like, I may have reservations because I'm like, Ooh, my balance sheet doesn't look that great. Ooh, I've got these vacant units. Oh, I'm, I'm paranoid by it. And like the bottom line is just ship the work and do it. Like you and I were talking yesterday, you're fucking around with your book, trying to perfect it. Production over perfection every single time. Cause in business, nothing is done really ever. Like it's not finished. It's always fluid. It's a living body of work. Just like you are as a human being, you're a living body of work and you're either improving or regressing. Your business is the exact same way. Are you improving your business or are you losing market share? There's no in between. There's no stagnation. There's no lack of energy or movement possible. So You can justify those things in your mind, but like the worst thing you can possibly do is just stand paralyzed because then you're dying at that point. When you don't make a decision, it doesn't matter if it's a right or wrong decision. If you don't make a decision at all, you're regressing. We know this in combat. My squad leader, when we were going through a shoot house, getting ready to deploy, there was a guy in the team before us. He was the one man, hit the door, stood in the fatal funnel, hesitated. And again, you're doing the shoot house for 24 hours, so you're tired. It's supposed to be like that. And then op four, just like he switched cheese. Everybody, like you said, everybody's stagnant. Everybody's stacked. And that's when everybody dies because now everybody's an easy target. Yeah, you have to get off the X. You have to move. Speed is our security. But so many times just yeah. to have the courage to say, I don't even know where the hell I'm supposed to be going right now, but I know that I can't be here. I know that there are huge consequences to doing nothing in this moment. And so we have to say whatever direction it is moving is the key because once you have that movement, just like pulling weight off the ground, if I'm pulling that deadlift up, I don't want to stop halfway through it. I want to break the plane initially and get that thing going. And now once it's going, I can explode through with my hips and really move everything. But if I'm trying to do it slowly or if I'm thinking about it, or if I get the perfect grip, it's not going to happen. That was part one of my interview with entrepreneur, real estate investor, and former army ranger, Jeff Smith. 
You can hear part two of the interview on the next episode of Octonom Verba, where Jeff returns to discuss the weight of decisions and why taking action on a decision can leave us paralyzed in fear. Jeff also reveals creating confidence through failure, the problem with being a natural born leader, and the real weight of working a nine to five job. Until next time, live a life of actions and not words. Live a life of Octa, not Verba. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.